Hello, Soul Sanctuary community, and welcome back to episode three of the Conversations About podcast. Uh, this is the podcast that follows our Sunday sermon as we walk through our essential series uh, for five weeks here at Soul Sanctuary. And uh, my name is Jordan, one of the pastors at Soul, but I have a guest with me today, uh, Mike, our discipleship director. He is away uh, with a bunch of our interns and staff at a conference, and so I've uh, I've uh, made a, or I've called a, a pinch hitter. Is that that's a baseball term? You're a sports guy, <laughs> Rob. Is that is that right? Pinch hitter. Yeah, yeah uh, pinch hitter. Yo, so I got uh, Robert Dean, Dr. Robert Dean uh, from Providence uh, Theological Seminary. Uh, Rob or, or Dr. Dean, we're going to go with Rob. How's that sound? That's good with me. You're good with it. So Rob is uh, one of my professors or, or has been. I'm graduated. I'm sure I'll end up back at school at some point. But uh, Rob has been one of my professors at Providence for uh, a long time. And uh, I've learned a great deal about the human condition uh, from you, Rob. So this is quite fitting uh, to have you join us as we talk about humanity and as we talk uh, about some of the questions that came out of our conversation on human personhood. Uh, so, Rob, welcome. Maybe give us a, I didn't even prepare you for this part, but maybe give us a brief intro uh, to yourself, maybe what you teach at Providence uh, and uh, maybe some of your uh, theological passions or interests. Sure. So uh, I serve as the Associate Professor of Theology and Ethics at Providence Theological Seminary. Uh, so in that mix, I, I teach a variety of theology courses, uh, teach Christian ethics. I also teach uh, the introductory preaching course at, at Providence. Uh, my my earlier work, uh, well, and I continue to be interested in what does it mean to be the church in, in, our, in our culture, Canadian culture in particular, that's moving into a time when being a Christian is is not something we can take for granted. It's something that's sort of strange and unusual. So what does it mean to be a Christian when people uh, maybe don't understand uh, who we are and what we're about and we don't don't have the cultural influence and power that we that we once had? Ah, I love it. This is good. this is this is why you're here because of those interest points. <laughs> uh, also, I mean because of your influence on my life. Uh, which which has been profound. So okay, so the the breakdown of the pod of the podcast is we just dialogue with some questions from our community, and when we talk about these questions, we're talking about them as far as uh, questions and response. Uh, we know that we're not going to be able to do every question justice, but we really want to try to engage with each one and and provide at least a meaningful interaction with it as we continue the conversation, and that can, conversation continues in 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 life together around our dinner tables uh, right. during the coffee break on Sunday at church. And so this past Sunday sermon, what I, I had said on personhood, on humanity. Uh, what does God say about us? And, and we kind of broke down a, a number of key points. First, we talked about the image of God. And I mean, talk about grand topic and, and one that's been debated by theologians for years. But what does the image of God mean? Uh, we talked about the implications of the image of God, meaning that or, or talking about the reality that as Christians, we, we have no basis on which to hate anyone uh, because of, of um, the, the meaning, uh, the creation, the calling, the commission that that God has given to humanity. We then talked about our, our state as fallen sinners, uh, that we we have fallen short of the glory of God, that we have made a choice in the garden for autonomy, 
from God, and that that choice for autonomy casts the entire cosmos into disarray. Uh, but we talked about, and this really works in with our previous two uh, sermons to that, where we talked about God and the Bible, about how God did not give up on us, and that we don't just stay sinners, but we're actually redeemed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we are um, continually sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit as we become holy and as we respond to who Jesus is. So is the framework for, for the sermon. And we got uh, a list of questions that came in and we've sorted a couple of the sorted a couple of them here. So Rob, I'll, I'll just toss you some of these questions and, and let you engage with them. Uh, the first one that, that came in here was how can we be certain that there will not be a fall again in the new creation? since there was one in the initial perfect creation of all things. If all things end the way they start, how can we be 100% confident that sin won't be reintroduced into new creation? Take it away. Nothing like starting on the right note. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. And uh, yeah, just, I mean, before I dive into that too, the, I mean, it's just wonderful. uh, I think what I'm hearing there about the series and this past Sunday, the the human person, um, the, the, those of us who teach theology or study theology, we sometimes say that like every every era of the church has to deal with a different question, and I, I think it I think it's becoming increasingly clear that the question for the church of the 21st century is what does it mean to be a human being? Uh, so it's it's great that that you're you're preaching and teaching on these themes and people are are engaged and sending in questions. Uh, so that, yeah, that what a great question to start us with. Uh, I, I want to uh, pick up something there in the in the question um, and and maybe query that a little bit. Uh, there's the, the the assumption there that creation was perfect in the beginning. Uh, and there is a way of of reading the text that we see that goes back to the second century, at least the second century, if not earlier. Uh, one of the, the early pastors of the church by the name of Irenaeus, he was a, a bishop in France. And uh, he he observes uh, that, I mean, what does God say when he, when he creates, right? He says, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very good. Uh, but he doesn't actually say this is perfect. Uh, there's a, a sense that the creation that we have at the beginning of the Bible is the, the beginning of, of the story, not the conclusion of it. Uh, so Irenaeus talks about uh, the the human beings in the garden are are sort of like children. They have a ways to go yet. Uh, God desires to to walk with them and bring with them bring them to maturity, but they haven't made it there yet. Uh, so there's a, a sense then that uh, the I mean the original creation is here, but God intends to get it up to here. Uh, so what sin does in that framework then is that sin becomes this obstacle or impediment. So rather than simply this straight line of progression, we've got this valley here now that has to be overcome in order to get to where where God intends us to be. So in when when we think about things in in that direction, then I, I think we could say that the the new creation isn't simply just a restoration of the old creation. It's that and more, uh, and I think there's, I mean, a few different ways that sort of point to that reality. Uh, the, the the book of Genesis begins in the garden, uh, but Revelation ends with uh, a garden city. So there's something more that's going on here. The All of human culture and development is somehow being taken up 
and and restored by God. Uh, and of course, at the at the heart of this has to be the incarnation, uh, that that God uh, has become flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, so if the if if God Himself has entered into our human condition, and whatever life we have in the life to come is life in Christ, uh, then that's sharing in this life that God lives in our midst as a human being. Uh, so if if we're sharing in the life of God in some way, it, it's impossible to deviate and fall into into non-existence because we're we're caught up and and captured by this this love that's shared between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But, okay, I I like this. Can we dial back then? Okay, I want to dial back. If Irenaeus is saying this is created good, 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 of course, the culmination is very good. Um, but this is it's like the commencement of the human project, uh, right? Where God says this is the beginning of of where I am taking my creation. And right. and is that is that maybe would would Irenaeus or would Robert Dean say that that's evidenced by the fact that God he calls his his people, he gives them a commission that's different than the animals. It is like you are gonna go rule, you will subdue, you're gonna you're gonna care for, cultivate this thing. And together, God's good intention, good created intention, together we're gonna take this thing somewhere. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of, of putting it. Another, I mean, another analogy might be like when a baby is born, uh, baby is good, or we might even say the baby is is perfect. But but when we say that, we're not saying that the baby has realized all of their latent capacities or potentialities. Uh, so a, a baby baby Jordan is not going to be able to exercise the same type of uh, discerning questions and responses as uh as pastor jordan uh there's there's growth and maturity and and education and life experience and a whole plethora of things that have gone into that uh so we wouldn't say the baby's not good because the baby can't talk or the baby can't do algebra uh but there's there's more to be to be realized uh and 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 perhaps that's the way we can look at the the genesis account uh and the beginning of the biblical story, God uh, has created human beings for these purposes, for uh, to be His His stewards over creation, to walk in fellowship and communion with Him, and He desires to to take the human project uh, to this this next level. Uh, sin becomes an obstacle or impediment to the realization of that project, uh, but uh, in in Christ, both the overcoming of sin and the fulfillment of the project. Uh, are both uh, are both found yeah okay and so that answers the question directly then uh when we can when we frame it in that in that context the question being how do we know that there's there's not going to be sin it's that god is going to uh fulfill his original purposes alongside the defeat of death and the um and you know the the wiping of of every tear if you will uh, as the new creation is realized and we will i think you had said we'll find ourselves in in, in the love that bonds together father son and spirit right um which would be a fullness of of love that we couldn't even begin to fathom uh, that would be mysterious to us in all of its fullness at, at this point in time is that a, a fair way of putting it yeah i, I... 
Yeah, you. I mean, you've probably heard me talk, well, you have heard me talk at various points in class about freedom. And, and today we tend to think of freedom as being when we can make choices or choose between products or life choices, whatever the case may be. Uh, but, but biblically speaking, we're, we're most free when nothing stops us from doing what we've been created for. Mm. Uh, so in, in that sense, then sin can only uh, distract us or deviate us from our purpose. Uh, so we're, we're most free when, when sin is no longer reality in our lives. Uh, when we're fr- when nothing gets in our way of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, so in the in the in the age to come, in the new creation, we're we're talking about uh, a type of freedom that is freedom from sin, because nothing is going to stop us from realizing what it means to be be human in its in its fullness. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Uh, the the freedom from sin, freedom for our purpose right. language is yeah. That's that's bang on. Okay, I feel like we did that question justice, and I don't know if we always do questions <laughs> justice. I feel like we did that one justice. Thank you so much for your insight. Let's let's roll into the next one. Okay, there's two here, and I think they marry together well because I think their underlying assumptions are are the same. So uh, the first one is. Um, if God is going to make everything new, then why does what I do now matter? And then the next question that came in said, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It says, uh, what's better to live your whole life as a lukewarm Christian or to turn to him with sincerity at the end of your life? Um, I don't know if we're ready to to make a conclusion on which one of those is better, um, but I I think maybe we want to talk a little bit to the underlying assumptions here or questions about Christian discipleship and uh, why does my existence as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Jesus, if you will, why does that matter here and now? Yeah, the the, the last question re- reminded me a little bit of some of the would you rather games that uh, <laughs> my kids play. So would would you rather uh, have a 20-year career as a professional baseball player, but be the backup catcher who only plays, you know, 12 times a year? Or would you rather be the best player in the league for two seasons, uh, but have your career cut short by a terrible injury? Uh, or so would you rather be the pinch hitter on the Soul Sanctuary podcast? That's right. <laughs> yeah so would yeah would you would you rather be the weekly uh the weekly podcast contributor or the uh the pinch hitter who comes in and hits it out of the park <laughs> let's go let's go well framed well framed <laughs> um yeah i mean there's something about those thought experiments that that's fun to fun to consider and and fun to uh to reflect upon the, yeah, the question of, I mean, I think you're right maybe in, in pointing us towards sort of an underlying thing about what is the connection of our of our lives now to the to the life to come. And my when when my, when my daughter was, I think she was five, uh, we we were living in Toronto at the time, and we were uh, eating in a. I picked her up and we were eat, grabbing a slice of pizza, pizza, pizza. And we're we're eating our slices of pizza, and sort of out of nowhere, uh, she asked me, uh, 
will we still be a family? Will you still be my dad in the new creation? And uh, I mean, chunks of pepperoni are falling out of my mouth as I'm trying to <laughs> to comprehend this. Uh, wasn't uh, kids? Kids have some of the best theological questions, but you don't always see them coming. Uh, and uh, I don't think I had a great answer for her at the time, other than to say something like, "Well, of course." Uh, of course, we'll be uh, a family in the new creation. Uh, but there is, I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking, well, I mean, Jesus says they'll, they won't give and be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels. And yeah. not that they will be angels. They'll remain human beings. But uh, they'll be beyond, uh, uh, beyond, well, I guess, procreative relationships. Or, or perhaps even Jesus is gesturing towards the reality that the intimacy between people the intimacy that are shared between spouses might be shared between everyone in mm. in in some way. Um, all that to say that I, I think what I think the the biblical faith is quite firm in asserting and insisting that that life matters, uh, that what we do here and now matters, and there there couldn't again. I mean, I often return to. To Christ and the Incarnation, uh, because there couldn't be a firmer or more resolute uh, affirmation of bodily historical existence than the fact that the Word of God becomes flesh and lives a human life. Uh, and he ascends, I mean, he's risen in the body, he bears the wounds uh, of his cross, and he ascends into the presence of the Father. Uh, so what this is pointing to, I think, is that that nothing will be nothing that is good, nothing that's true, nothing that's beautiful uh, will be lost, uh, but it will somehow be be taken up uh, and refined and find its its proper place in the in the age to come. What yeah? What do you what do you think about this one, Jordan? Yeah, I. I think all well and good, and I'm I'm tracking along with you as I think of the question asker, um, the, at least that first question, um, if God's make everything new, then why does what I do now matter? I I wonder if there's just a bit of it just seems a little hopeless, if I may. Uh, because I think we're asking this question all the time. Take the first part of that question out. Why does what I do now matter is the question that that I think our society is asking. Um, you know, when when we claim the death of God, that that not that that God does not give us some sort of transcendent meaning to our existence, then we go off and we seek to cultivate our own meaning. And we talked about this a lot on Sunday. And that often looks like cultivating a sense of identity within myself that orients me towards some sort of purpose, uh, but ignores the reality that I've already been oriented to a purpose, which we touched on in the first question, that that purpose is to be a part of God's human project to ultimately end up bringing him glory in the way that he designed and intended me to. But when we're absent that, then we ask the question, then why, why, why does any of this matter? And I feel like this, the, like the question or the orientation of the question is, is saying, well, God's going to work it out, I guess, it seems, or at least that's what you told us. So then why does it, why does it matter now? And what I hear you saying is that 
Well, it all matters because it's not that the end or, you know, God's going to make everything new, uh, like makes null and void everything we do now. Um, N.T. Wright talks about vocation in the new creation, that there's purpose within God's good design. And in fact, uh, somebody came up to me after church on Sunday, and they are a nurse or a nursing student, and they said, Jordan, are there going to be nurses in the new creation? And I instantly said yes, because I was like, I think that there will be some beautiful part of your vocation of caring for others. And then I thought, hold on a second. No, no, no. I need to think about this more clearly. Um <laughs> Like death and and sin will be defeated, and if death is defeated, then we're not in the process of decay or dying. And your job as a nurse is is really specifically to care for those who are sick and dying. And I was like, I just don't know if I could say that there's going to be nurses in the new creation, but I think what there will be is the continued care for one another. The continued, um, I mean, you look at creation care in Genesis 1, where they, they are called to rule or, or to rule and to subdue. Uh, but really, that is, that's cultivate. That is go out and, um, and yeah, carry forward the human project. So I think that there will continue to be that in the new creation. Ooh, to, to the question asker, yeah, if that's the case, if that's the case that, our labors are are um, are not in vain. Uh, then, for that reason alone, what happens now matters. Um, yeah, that's going to be my best stab at it. Kind of carrying it on from you. Anything to add to it? Uh, no. I, yeah, I don't. I, I don't think so. It's just yeah. We we have this conviction and and faith that. That the, I mean, yeah, the new, the new creation isn't. Uh, there's both con- or another way to put it. There's both continuity and discontinuity. Yeah. Uh, okay. It, it's it it it's us <laughs> who are who are raised. Uh, right. we, but we are raised in what Paul calls uh, spiritual bodies. Uh, I mean, what exactly a spiritual body is is hard to to say but i mean presumably we see clues of, of what it is in the body of the resurrected jesus right uh, but there's still lots of, of room for for mystery there or uh or or faithful speculation or or imagination but there is some continuity it is it is uh, we are the people who are raised and mm-hmm. uh so in in that way i think whatever Whatever in our lives is of the the spirit of God uh, is is preserved or or refined or represented or reconstituted. Yeah. Oh, that's good. To to the would you rather asker who says <laughs> lukewarm Christian or kind of deathbed conversion? Uh, how would you address that? Yeah, I. I mean, pastorally, because I think this is a pastoral question. Yeah, it'd be be interesting to, I mean, if I was with the question answer to sort of probe a little bit to try to figure out what might be behind it, because uh, just on on its surface, it comes across as sort of a economical or transactional type question, which may, I mean, which sort of, I mean, we're profoundly shaped by our consumeristic 
context uh, or economic everything's reduced to economical questions uh, so i mean the question I, this might not be their intention at all but to, to me it sort of seems to be saying what's the what's the minimum amount of investment that i can put into this thing in order <laughs> to reap the maximum return um, right and and when when considered in those contexts although it makes great sense in our in our age of uh of banking and investments and the markets and so forth it's i mean it's a little off-putting if you think about it relationally uh and the the biblical story of god with his people is a a relational story it's a love story uh and it would be a little there was something there was something be a little off if if you were to say you know what's the minimum investment uh that i could put into my marriage uh, in order for it to be a good marriage is is it better to be a, a lukewarm spouse for <laughs> uh, for the duration of the marriage or to have you know a really good last year <laughs> so there, 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 there's right. something there that's a little a little off uh and the so maybe it's a question that needs to be reframed a little bit and again this might not be the intentions of the questioner at all sure. uh, but if we if we reframe it in terms of of love a, a a lover never asks what's the minimum that i can get by uh with re with relation to the beloved uh yeah. there instead you're you're swept up into this thing and it's uh, uh a reality of love shared and and exchanged um so there yeah i think that maybe just re the question maybe needs to be reframed a little or shift the key signature needs to shift a little bit maybe on that question Oh, that that that's good though. I mean, when you paint it in light of of marriage, and then I mean, you carried that to talk about the love relationship that we have with God. That just brings it to light for me, um, and I hope it does for the question answer to asker question asker too. Um, okay, here here's a, a again another challenging one, uh, but a good one to to speak to. The question comes in and says, "How do we affirm the value of people that do terrible things?" And I, I think, you know, we're maybe tempted to, to frame this question historically, um, as I've, I've heard it framed before, you know, wh what do we do with someone like Hitler or like Stalin or somebody who is responsible for all sorts of atrocities? Uh, but I think maybe on a, on a more deeply personal level, how do we, let's say, affirm the value? And what they're referencing is likely... Um, my my discussion on the image of God and the implication of the image of God, meaning that we can't hate anyone um, and that people have inherent value and dignity as God's created beings. Uh, to make it more personal, how do we affirm the value, as the question says, of the people who do horrific things to us? Uh, what does that look like? What do, uh, Honestly, what does that even mean? And then maybe, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, I mean, lots of different parts of the question there that we could sort of interrogate. Uh, I mean, what does it mean to affirm, or what, what are we talking about when we say, say value? Uh, when, when you first read the question, it uh, came to mind. Uh, I mean, one, when I opened my internet browser earlier today, there was a story about. Uh, about Sir John A. Macdonald and another statue coming down. And we, I mean, we're, we are sort of facing this cultural reckoning 
uh, at the present moment, uh, where we have these figures uh, that have have accomplished great things in our in our country or in our civilization, but are also marred by their involvement in 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 terrible processes of colonialization. Um, so. So what it, it, it did bring to mind these debates surrounding uh, Sir John A. Macdonald and Egerton Ryerson and and others in Canada or in the in the United States they have their own complicated legacy as well. But what what do we do with the, these figures? And at, at the present moment, it often seems like our temptation is simply to cancel anyone who doesn't fit according to our contemporary ideals or or standards. I think that's. I think that's probably a mistake. Uh, not, not because their participation, uh, like Sir John A's uh, introduction of the system of, of reserves for Indigenous peoples or uh, the uh, residential school system. Not because these are. I'm not denying that these are terrible things, but as as Christians. Uh, we we recognize that we are all created in the image of God, as as you said, Jordan. We are all implicated in the horrific reality of sin, uh, and only by the grace of God are we are we freed or or liberated uh, from that uh, reality. So I think uh, I think the place to start uh, is is first the recognition. Uh, that I mean, there, but by the grace of God, go I. Uh, we are the only reason we have any standing before God is because God has acted for us in Jesus. Uh, we are all uh, level at the foot of the cross, uh, and and if we start to think it's our possession, uh, then it becomes easy to put our place ourselves in a place of judgment over over others. Uh, so yeah. I think a recognition of the of the the neediness that we all have before God, uh, the the utter sinfulness in which we we stand, where it requires us to uh, to look humbly upon others. Uh, now that that doesn't mean we ignore the reality of of sin and transgression. Uh, so Matthew 18 is, a, I think, a very important text in the life of the Christian community, but can also be maybe transposed to, to broader societal interactions as well. Uh, and that's the text that's sort of paving the way or trying to explain flesh out what does reconciliation look like? Uh, so if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them uh, and, uh, and, 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 and confront them. Now, I mean, notice it's it's all framed in the context of reconciliation. The the going to the brother or the sister is not uh, ultimately for the sake of condemning them, but to restore them. Uh, to the, we go to them to point out that actually, look, you're deviating from the way of life, and you're uh, you're wrecking destructive <laughs> uh, pathways in your or destructive uh, results in your path. Uh, you need to repent and and return to the way of life, um, and so that that occurs for the the sake of reconciliation. Now that I mean, there has to be to forgive someone uh, contains an implicit word of judgment. Yeah. Uh, so if if I uh, were to to come on and and say, uh, uh, Jordan, I forgive you for slandering me on Twitter last week. 
if, <laughs> if, if you didn't actually slander me on Twitter, uh, you'd be really upset. Right. Because there's an implicit word of judgment, uh, even though in forgiveness, I'm releasing you of any consequences or punishment of your offense. Yeah. Uh, there's still a word of judgment that's issued. Uh, the truth yeah. has to be spoken. Uh, so uh, affirming uh, the value of of people who do terrible things is not uh, to deny the terrible things they've done, uh, but it's to recognize uh, that like uh, like. <laughs> the the day like us stand in need of of God's grace. Yeah. Oh man, that you for that answer. I mean, I don't know if I could have come up with that. That's beautifully rooted in Scripture and speaking to the heart of that. Profoundly pastoral and self reflective. I think what that does, uh, a question like that, turns us in on ourselves. Uh, to do some hard examination um, as in a society that that doesn't do much hard examination, Rob. Yeah. Uh, and when, one of the things one of the things about Matthew 18, too, it it it, it implies that there that the community really is living a relational life together. So if if I go to you and confront you about what I perceive to be the sin that you have transgressed against me, uh, what, what's lurking below the surface, but we don't often recognize, is that the very encounter provides the opportunity for the truth to come to light. Uh, mm. So it, it might be that I perceive the situation correctly, uh, that you've slandered me on Twitter, uh, or it, it could be that I discover that somebody has a burner account uh, set up <laughs> and they're, they're posing as you, so you haven't really set it apart, or I mean, it could be that you've said something that maybe wasn't the best choice of words, but your intention wasn't wrong. But that can only come to light as as one brother or sister takes the opportunity to engage with the other in the desire to be to be reconciled. Yeah, in the desire to be reconciled. That's it. Ooh, okay, Rob, I have you for a couple more minutes before we, we conclude here. I want to go right back to the beginning. You, you had said that, um, you know, the church in every moment of time or in every generation uh, has unique questions that it needs to set out and address. And you noted that the crux of our conversation uh, on Sunday in the sermon and then uh, in the podcast here uh, is, is the question, what does it mean to be human? And that that's a question that, that the church really needs to engage with today. Uh, I mean, to ask you the question, what does it mean to be human, is maybe a little biting off more than we can chew uh, for the sake of the time that we have remaining. Uh, but what are some of the dominant themes that you see uh, that that the church is wrestling through or working through when it comes to human personhood or humanity in general um, in in this current cultural moment? And when I say cultural moment, I think I mean you know, in the in the global West, in our environment here in Winnipeg, Canada, um, what what are some of the things that the church is wrestling through, or or maybe that the church needs to think through? Yeah, I, I mean, one place to start might be to, uh, to for the church to reclaim what does it mean to be a creature. Uh, mm -hmm. So I I think a, a large part of the uh, the modern project, so which we could say is spanning the last. 300 years or so uh, is is this idea that we are the authors of our own story 
but to be a creature means that uh, that we're called into existence by a creator uh, yeah. who is the the author. Um, so there is a radically uh, a radical calling into question of our of a lot of the narratives that really center modern Western society. Uh, so the idea that we are supposed to be autonomous, self-sufficient, uh, self-constituting uh, people, uh, that it's up to us to chart our course and to to fashion our own identities. Um, whereas where being a creature means that your identity is, is bestowed upon you, it's given. Uh, so there, I think, yeah, reclaiming what it means to be be a creature would be a great place to start. Of course, that also means being creature means there are limits on your existence. Uh, we're it involves the acknowledgement of our limited limitations in space and and time. Uh, there's, yeah, there's uh, that might be one helpful place to to start. Does that resonate, or were there other areas that you thought would be? I think a, no, I think a lot flows from that. I think the the author authors of our own domain is that the say, saying? I'm the author of my own domains or something like that. Uh, whatever it is, but like, I mean, the idea is there. It's is surely there within our society. Um, there within Christian thinking too. I I find uh, speaking personally, and for those in the soul community that that know me or, or engage regularly I find like a lot of my work is, is helping us think like Christians. And even to say that it kind of affronts the modern sense of the autonomous self or myself as an individual that I don't need to learn to think like somebody else, uh, because I can think for myself. In fact, do your own research, get your own conclusion. Like th those are those at Facebook comment sections on every post, you know, do your own research, do, do your whatever, think for yourself. Uh, but really, I think a part of what it is to be a Christian is to learn to think like a Christian, to have our imaginations formed, to have our imaginations formed by the story. Ah, my prop, not just a prop, yeah, not just a prop at all, actually, to, to live within it, <laughs> to not be a prop, right? If my imagination can be formed by the story, then there, there, then I become, I am a thinking being, not just reduced to a thinking being, but I'm a thinking being who begins to find himself, his meaning, his purpose, to some of the previous questions that we addressed, uh, his sense of identity, uh, his creatureliness his limitations all as they've been prescribed by the creator of all things and so i find that is a lot of my pastoral work pastoral work in my own heart i mean finding myself to be in in the story but then also to to walk with those in our church community who are formed by the forces that you described uh, because we all are, you know, whether they're economic capitalistic forces, whether they are forces of autonomy and, and messages of individuality, and you are only what, or you are, yeah, the master of your own domain. Is that it? The author, the master, it's the master of your own domain. That's it. Uh, and saying, actually, no, we live within, within God's story. 
And we are who he says we are. That was our response on Sunday. We sang a song together. We all rose and we said, uh, we need a new imagination for our identity. And we're not going to think our way there. Our whole doctrine series has not been, it like starts in your mind and then it needs to get actually get its way into your heart and then lived out through your hands and through your feet and through your words. But it's not going to get there by just thinking yourself through it. We actually have to practice it. We have to live within the Christian community. Uh, when we... In that, in in when we talked about living in the story, we came out of living in the story of the Bible, week two of our series, by taking communion together. This is like in being embodied within the story. And then last week we right. sang the song, "I am who you say I am. I am laying down my identity at your feet, and I am receiving the identity that you have given it to me as a beloved child of of the Most High." And so, anyways. Now I'm ranting. I said this at the end of last episode. When my hands go in the air, Rob, then I'm ranting. I'm off, I'm off course. Yeah, and that so, that 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 is is both judgment and life, or death and resurrection. So I mean, it is it is a type of death to the the sinful human being that thinks that we can constitute ourselves, uh, that we can fashion our, some type of identity for ourselves. But it's also it's also life uh, to die to that that tendency because it's exhausting trying to cultivate some type of identity for yourself it's exhausting trying to be the creator uh and transcend the limits of <laughs> of time and space uh we're i mean it just and we end up uh grading against the order of reality as god has has fashioned it for us so there's it's it, it's it's a word that both kills and makes alive but it puts to death our our desire to be our own masters, but but in that death we find the freedom and 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 liberation that only comes through relinquishing our lives to God. That is the word we are ending off on. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Dr. Robert Dean from Providence Seminary, uh, thank you so much for uh, for dropping in and uh, joining us on the Conversations podcast. I know that your insight uh will be received well by the soul community and that uh you have richly blessed us with your with your insight so thank you and uh to the rest of the soul community we will see you on sunday as we dive into part four of our series jesus and the gospel <laughs>